Awesome. Awesome. Thank that's that. it. That's your intro. Thank you for that wonderful intro. That's now like our ongoing bid as I make fun of his intro. Uh, cool. How you guys doing? Good. Excellent. I was thinking about the uh, giving tree thing, and I, my mom was a single mom when I was in high school, and so we were on the giving tree, and the gifts we got were just a bunch of stinkers. They just weren't that good. <laughs> just to be be honest, like we, but it did, here's here's why I'm saying this is we. It didn't matter that the gift wasn't what we wanted or what we would ask for or anything like that. It was oh, someone cared enough to buy a present and deliver it to our house on Christmas. Someone in our church loves us. So it, it like the gift itself didn't matter. It was uh, it was the thought. So if. It, I don't know. I, in high school, it, it never occurred to me that we were a family that the church was taking care of. It was just like every now and then my mom would go to a church thing and her, they would change the oil in her car and then they would let me do it in mine too. Or like it, it, stuff like that, you know. Anyway, that's not the sermon. Here's the sermon. <laughs> it's a, it's this, actually, this pretty much sums up my life, how I've, how I've been feeling in the last like few months is it just is like scattered and I'm just kind of trying to figure life out and, and, and do random stuff. I picked this up to drink it, but it's going to be a silence, so hold on a sec. Mm. Johanna got a Chemex for her birthday, which is like a coffee magic thing, and it has changed my life. It's amazing. So for her birthday, she got me making Chemex coffee for her from now on until the end of time, <laughs> which is pretty great. Uh, no, so this season of life, I've been... Um, as we now know, I'm no longer on staff at Lake Sam, and I'm trying to figure out what to do next. And it's funny, because every sermon that I, I do here, you get to see my progression. Uh, someone recently asked me to, uh, like, oh, you, you gave this quote, what sermon was that? And I looked back, and it was like last year. And back then, I was like, God asked me to like pray about being on staff, but don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still on staff at church. And then went to like, hey, I may not actually be called to be on staff at church to they laid me off, <laughs> would be one way to say it. Uh, I'm not on Savage Church anymore to, I don't know what to do next, to right now. And right now, uh, Johanna and I are just trying to figure life out. And uh, well, like the other day we went to Starbucks in Snoqualmie and we got our drinks and I saw there was a sign that said, Snoqualmie Starbucks hiring, now hiring uh, part-time mornings. I'm like, oh, that would be perfect. That must be God's will for me. I could work there part-time, and then I could go do all the other stuff I want to do the rest of the time. And I just immediately, as soon as I had that thought, felt this like gentle voice of God go, no, that's not what I'm calling you to do right now in this season. I've worked at Starbucks in the past, uh, and, and that time it was God, but in this moment, it's not. So I was like, all right, I won't, I won't do that. Um, I had this opportunity to interview for this job, and I asked God, do you want me to do this? And he said, sure, yeah, go ahead interview for that one. And so I applied to it, and then I, I didn't hear back for a while. Um, and then I interviewed for a different job that was very similar to it. Uh, and then that interview led to a second interview, which led to a third interview, um, which seems like that's on the path to getting hired. It's been a while since I've had to do that, follow that path, so I don't know for sure, but that seems like the, the correct direction if you want to get employed. Um, and I was on the way to the third interview, and I felt like God was like, why are you going? I was like, because I need a job. <laughs> I need to provide for my family. He's like, I never told you to apply for that. And I was like, oh, really? You're going to make me do this now? Well, come on. And so he's like, yeah, I'm really going to make you do this now. And so I had to call them and be like, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm going to have to withdraw my application. 
Uh, and they didn't really ask why, which is great, because I'd have to be like, because God told me I shouldn't work for you, I guess. Like, sorry, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, and so I'm just in this, in this season of, I'm only trying to do what God's asking me to do, and I'm trying to not do the things that God's telling me not to do. Um, one of the consistent things that he lets me do, I intentionally say it that way, he allows me <laughs> to spend my time doing is making music. Um, every time I pray, because I, I did this voiceover thing for a while, and it became really clear very quickly that it wasn't, I was never supposed to do that, and God never blessed it. And at one point, God was like, are you going to keep pursuing this path that I'm asking you not to do, or are you just going to be obedient? Are you going to stop and turn from that? So I'm a little sensitive whenever I want to do something. I'm like, all right, God, go ahead and squash this dream I have. Like, let's, <laughs> let's see what else you got for me. Uh, so with music, I felt that same way. And God's like, no, pursue music. No, keep doing music. Go write and record music. Keep doing music. So that's what I've been doing. I've been writing and recording music, and it's been awesome. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and it reminded me of a time when I was a lot younger. Man, I'm old enough to say that now. Wow, that just hit me hard. <laughs> when I was a lot younger, when I was a younger boy, um, I, when I was graduating high school, I had an option. I could go to Life Pacific College, which is a four-square college now. It's Life Pacific University, LPU. Um, and I applied there and I got in. And at the end of high school, I, uh, that was the path that I knew God was asking me to do. So I was planning on doing that. But I also kind of wanted to do this other thing. Like I, I didn't really want to leave Colorado, which is where I grew up. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time that I liked okay. And I didn't want to like break up with her to go, um, which would have happened, which we ended up doing. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to leave my parents, leave my family, and leave it all behind. So I sort of toyed with this other idea of going to, to school um, for music education, um, which if you're in my personal life, you know that's what I'm now currently relooking at. Um, only this time, it feels like it's the Lord. Um, and in the end, I, went to, I decided to go to life and be obedient. Um, but when I first, went to, first started going to life, I felt like he told me to do two specific things. He told me a lot of things, but two of them... Um, are relevant to this conversation. And the first is he told me not to date for a year, um, which was really hard for me because I, I had been dating consistently someone from the time I was 13 um, all the way through high school. I was always in a relationship, and whenever one would end, I'd very quickly try and find a new one. Um, and so I just knew he asked me to do it, and I was like, of course you want me to not date for a year. It makes total sense. I need to be grounded. I need to learn how to have relationships with guys, which is something I'm, I'm still not very good at. Um, and for the first semester, it was, it was beautiful and perfect, and, and it wasn't easy, um, but I was able to do it, and I built a lot of these strong relationships. And then Johanna came the second semester. Um, if, if you haven't met her, she's my wife. Uh, so it was a lot harder to stay single, and you could argue whether or not I actually carried that out, because we were like friends, and then we were like friends who liked each other, and then we were like friends who were going to date, and we weren't dating, we just like went out to dinner every now and then, just the two of us, and shared our hopes and dreams for the future. <laughs> so, <laughs> you might say that was an act of disobedience. If you do, that's fine. I'm, I'm sort of living in that space too. But either way, I, I think it worked out for the best um, for me. But the other thing that God told me not to do when I first went to college was to not install any games on my computer. Yeah, whoa, that was a very strong response. <laughs> okay. Um, so I didn't install any games on my computer the, the, the first year. And again, first semester, super easy. 
Um, second semester, a little harder, but I still was, stayed true to that. Um, and instead, because I had all this extra time because I wasn't playing games, I was writing and recording all this music. And in high school, I, had, I wrote maybe 12 songs. I had like an album worth of songs. This is back when artists released albums, not EPs. Um, and so I recorded all, these, all this music. And by the end of the first year, I'd recorded all the music I wrote in high school. Plus, I wrote and recorded another like eight to 10 songs just in the first year. At the end of the first year, I uh, felt released to be able to install games on my computer. Uh, and from the rest of the next three years, I ended up writing and recording two songs in three years. And one of them was for an, a, a school assignment, uh, which is also kind of cool that I had a school assignment to write and record a song. But uh, so two songs in three years versus 20 songs the first year where I wasn't, wasn't doing things. And so, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that God would have asked me not to install games on my computer. And that, if you know my story, you know my journey, gaming is one of the things that I struggle with, like addiction to technology is a thing that I struggle with. And you could see why. Um, there, I remember there's a time in, in school where um, I was, we we're sitting in my roommate and I, Justin, who some of you have met, we're sitting playing a game and um, a guy came in my, our room, uh, one of our like fellow quad mates uh, came in and one of my, the churches that I grew up listening to, or grew up, I got saved in high school, but in high school and through the first part of college that was an influence in my life was Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, um, the pastor's Erwin McManus. And he has pastored me from afar for many years, still to this day. He writes books, he, they had a podcast where they put their sermons on online and, and I would listen to them. And he discipled me because of his, all the ministry he was doing. Uh, I, greatly respect him. And you might know the word mosaic because we actually do a song from the worship team at Mosaic, the song Tremble, um, that we do every now and then. Mosaic wrote that and recorded it uh, recently. And so this guy comes in my room and we're setting up, gearing up to play a game. And he's like, Kevin, you should come with us. We're going to go to Mosaic tonight. They're having a worship night. It's going to be incredible. And we're in, also in Los Angeles. We're about 40 minutes away from Mosaic. So I kind of did the math in my head, I was like, okay, so it's going to be 40 minutes there. The worship night is going to be incredible, of course. But we're going to hang out and linger afterwards because that's what we do because we're in college. We have no, nothing better to do. We don't value our time very highly. And then we're going to come back and it'll be another 40 minutes. But we're probably going to stop at like in and out on the way back because that's what we did because it was open 24 hours there uh, or to like three in the morning, which is, might as well be 24 hours. Uh, so it's just going to be this huge chunk of time. And I don't know. I don't, we already, we're already settled in. I'm already planning on playing this game yeah, I'm just gonna pass this time. And immediately, much like I hear now, I heard this, giant, this like quiet whisper of God go, no, you should go. And I was like, I'm not gonna go. So I didn't go. And the person was a little disappointed, but they're like, no, I get it. Oh, that's fine, next time, next time. And that next time did come. We're like, hey, they're doing another thing. We should all, let's all go to Mosaic. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, I should say yes. Still small voices telling me yes. I say no. No, I don't want to go. We're, we're, we're busy. I'm busy. I got too much going on. Blah, blah, blah. So I ignored this voice of God that I knew he was calling me to do uh, and let them go to Mosaic. And I've never, to this day, I've never been to Mosaic. I've never met Erwin McManus. I, he, I don't think he's pastoring anymore. He's now he's like kind of retired from that and he's writing and doing other really interesting things. Um, still is a person that I respect so much, but I never actually got to interact in his community and because I was disobedient. Slightly further ahead, this is the longest intro I've ever done, by the way, but uh, this is leading to a point. 
Further ahead, um, we graduate college. We're gearing up to graduate college. Um, it was a crazy last year. Our, my, our senior year of college, Shahana's uh, senior year was our first year of marriage. I don't recommend it, it was terrible. Um, I mean, our marriage was fine, but like the timing was, was pretty bad. Uh, we were more like roommates who checked each other's homework that also got to sleep together rather than like actual a married couple. And our second year of marriage, we're like, oh, is this what being married's like? This is nice. Um, at the, so the end, of the end of senior year we're, is our first year of marriage. It's the hardest classes. We have to live off campus because uh, there's no married housing. So we uh, both have full-time jobs and we're full-time students. And one of my friends passes away, unexpectedly has a grand mal seizure and dies. So we're grieving. And so this, it was just a crazy year. And I felt like at the end of the year, God was like, I want you to take the summer off. Don't get a job. Like keep what you currently have and just rest for the summer. Rest and recover. So right before the end of the year, right before the summer, we were supposed to graduate, uh, we get an invitation to apply for this church job. And if you go to Bible college, getting a church job is the job you want, right? Like that's what we went to school for. Let's, let's start ministry. And so we did this interview and the interview goes super well. It feels like their heart is our heart. They like us. They have a need that we can fulfill. They wanna hire both of us together. Uh, it's, it's just a great situation. And so we do the interview, they, they drive us up, it's actually in Central California, so they drive us up, they have us stay in a hotel, uh, they have us do the interview, and um, at the end of the interview, they knew it was our anniversary coming up, so they, they actually sent us to San Francisco for our anniversary, um, just as like a nice, kind gesture. Awesome. So at the end of the interview, we're about to go to San Francisco for our, our anniversary, uh, or our, uh, I guess, yeah, it'll be our anniversary. Uh, we're about to leave, and, and the very end of the conversation is going super well, and I, and I go, hey, just to let you know, um, I, I love this, this is awesome, I would love to be here. Johanna and I both think this is a great fit for us, but um, God told me I need to take the summer off. So I, you don't have to wait. I, I don't expect you to, to wait, because you're hiring now, it's April. Uh, you're not looking for someone to start in September. You're, starting, you're looking for someone to start now. So do, if you want to wait for us, great. We would love to take it. But we're, we're not going to start now. We're going to start in September. And all of a sudden, the conversation flipped. All of a sudden, uh, the, like the pastor got really upset at us for, for wasting his time and wasting his money, um, which actually in hindsight should have been a, a sign because this was a terrible church experience as my first job. <laughs> Uh, but so we went back to, to Southern California, back to our little tiny apartment, back to our uh, jobs at Starbucks, uh, going, well, we messed that interview up, oops. And we got a call from the associate pastor who said, you know, it's still fine, we still want you. Um, we understand this whole thing about rest, but let me put it to you this way. You could rest there, working at Starbucks, not pl working in a church, uh, eating top ramen and mac and cheese, Sure, as restful as that could be. Or you can start work for us now. And we'll, we'll let you ramp up so you can kind of, it'll be like you're taking the summer off. And, uh, you know, but you, you'll be making a lot more money. You'll be starting in a church so you actually get to move forward in your ministry. You actually have to have good food, like good dinner. You won't be stuck eating top ramen. It just, it seems like a better situation to do that instead. And we were like, the logic checks out, let's go. <laughs> So we, we started uh, working for this church in April. And so I was, I just want to be super clear in case it's, it's unclear. I was disobedient to what God was asking me to do. God was asking me to, to take the summer off and I didn't take the summer off. As a result, that church job, as I said, was the worst job I've ever had. The pastor ended up being extremely abusive 
uh, verbally, emotionally. I was fired after six months, wondering if I even have ever heard the Lord before in my life. So that's how that turned out, because of obedience, because of my own disobedience. And so I just, like, this whole thing takes me back and makes me start thinking, like, okay, so right now God's asking me to do music, that seems to be a focus, but I'm recording the music now that I should have been recording my sophomore year of high school when I stopped listening to him. So God's will for my life seems to be on this trajectory that I've now missed, and I can't go back in time and say yes to going to Mosaic, and I can't go back in time to my sophomore year when I installed games on my computer and say, no, I'm actually going to record more music. I can't go back and say, no, I'd really like to take the summer off. So now what do I do? Have I missed God's will for my life? Is the trajectory, did the trajectory leave without me? Have you ever been to, to like a theme park like Disneyland or something like that and you see like the boat come up? And you see someone like trying to get to the front of the line and they just don't quite make it because there's too many people in front of them, so then the boat leaves. Sometimes I feel like that's like God's will for my life is it just left and I didn't quite make it on the boat. So I guess I'll have to settle for plan B. Is that it? I can't accomplish God's actual plan for my life, so I can do like a okay plan. Oops, I messed that up too. Maybe I'll have to do like a plan C. Is there a plan somewhere down the line that is at least like something that God has for me. And I just wonder if, if uh, there are other people in the room that feel this way, right? Like m- maybe you, God told you to do something and you were like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. And here you are now wanting to be obedient going, there went God's will for my life. There's the life God has for me and it's gone. I'm still here. Or maybe it never occurred to you that that was even a possibility that God might have a plan for your life. And so now I'm telling you this right now, and you're like, oh yeah, maybe at some point I should have asked him. Well, shoot, I'm so far behind. I didn't even know there was a trajectory. I guess, I'm, I guess I've already missed it. So th- this morning, if, that, if either of those are you, I have good news for you. God has a response to this idea. God does have a plan, and it's not a plan B. It's not a backup plan. It's not a good enough. Uh, I... I'm gonna hopefully prove to you that life is not just a path that, got you, uh, that has God's path that you're just supposed to stay on it as long as you can and if you get off, then there's no coming back. So that's where we're gonna be going this morning. If you're new here, um, we do an intro. This is the longest intro I've ever done, possibly the longest intro that anyone's ever done um, at this church. <laughs> um, we, all, we, we like to pause um, after an intro and have someone in the congregation pray for us and pray for the church. And I, I love that we do this because it, it communicates a lot. Uh, one of them is I'm not the only person who can pray being on the stage. And the other is that ministry is for everyone, not just for pastors. Um, I asked Savannah if she would pray and she, I did not expect her to say yes to this, but she did. Thank you, Savannah. Please uh, lift us up and lift up another church. Thank you, Lord, for this time together as a family. Thank you that we have um, the privilege to meet together in a building and act as your body and as um, one. And I pray for the sermon today. I pray for Kevin. I thank you that your hand guides our lives, God, um, that you have a plan for us, that you have a purpose, and that we, um, I just pray for obedience in our lives, uh, obedience to hear you and to serve um, and to do your will. 
and I lift up uh, Puget Sound Foursquare Church in Tacoma. Pray for Pastor Lance down there that you continue to um, reach that community, reach the people, and just uh, pray for anointing in that church and that body. Yes, uh, amen. Thanks, Savannah. That was awesome. Okay. So we're in this series, we've been studying the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch. Um, And the Pentateuch is the foundation that everything in scripture is based on. So the next books that come after are narrative that only exist because of the Pentateuch. And later on, there's the prophets that are prophesying to Israel and they sit on the Pentateuch and they're calling Israel back to be like was described in the Pentateuch. In the New Testament, Jesus uses the Pentateuch all the time. So, we're, so I just want to do a quick review of some of the places we've been. And I just want to ask the question, uh, what was God's will here? So the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, and I try to do this kind of artsy and fun because why not? Uh, the, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. And as you can see in the picture, Adam and Eve took the fruit and they actually ate the fruit. So what's God's will in this situation? Is it clear what God wants from Adam and Eve in the garden? Don't eat the fruit. What do they do? We ate the fruit. So his will is very obvious and very clear. It's not like he dropped them in the garden and said, figure it out. Oh, you shouldn't have eaten that one. Like he told them. Here's my will for your life. Be here. Be, uh, in another uh, part of this passage, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy this garden. Do whatever you want except for this tree. That's my will for your life. And they don't do it. Fast forward. Abraham. Back then he was called Abram. The Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. What's God's will for Abram? His will is that he would have so many kids, so many descendants, that if you would look up and count the stars if you could, that's how numerous his descendants will be. That's God's will in this situation. Fast forward, now we're in Exodus. So God's people, Abraham, had a bunch of kids. They had a bunch of kids, they had a bunch of kids. There was a famine. They go into Egypt to be rescued from the famine. They stayed in Egypt. They become slaves in Egypt. Moses, in Exodus, sees a burning bush. He approaches the burning bush. It's it's the voice of Yahweh, this, this God that he doesn't know. And Yahweh says, go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And by the way, let's back up for a quick sec. When when Abraham gets this promise, he talks about uh, your uh, descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He talks about why he's doing this. He said, "I I want to bless you because I want you to be a blessing to others. So my purpose in blessing you is so the way other people will be blessed through you and... Other people will be able to see what I'm like because of how you are. So it's, it's this two-fold purpose that, that Yahweh has when he speaks to Abram. It's, I want to bless you so you can bless people, and I want to bless you so that we, people can see what I'm like. 
So here's, in, in Exodus, uh, it's time to get your people out of Egypt. And earlier in this passage, uh, Moses is told by, by Yahweh, it's time to send them out of Egypt because I'm gonna send them to this promised land that I promised them long ago. This land that back when he told Abram, hey, you're gonna have people, it's gonna be numerous, you're gonna be a blessing to others and you're gonna show people who I'm like and we're gonna do that in this land. So what's God's will for Moses right now? It's pretty obvious, right? Go, lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So that's God's will. And why? Because he wants his people to be a blessing to others and because he wants to show who he is like through these people. Fast forward, they, they just left Egypt. God did this miraculous thing where he parts the waters and they walk through it on dry ground and then the waters collapse onto the army behind them so they're saved. And on, immediately on the other side, as God gives this law, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image or anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate the, your affection for any other gods. What's God's will here? Don't make an idol. Don't make any image that represents a God and don't worship it. It's not ambiguous. It's pretty clear. So what do they do? You can see the, in the background of the picture, they make a golden calf and then they bow down and worship it. Hmm. Okay, so God has this plan for them, this will for them. What are they to be? What are they to do? They're to be a blessing to others and they're to show the world the reflection of what God is like. When they make an image, a golden calf, they're not blessing others and they're not being a reflection of what God is like. So, so God has this will for their life and they're not doing it. Later, we just did this a couple weeks ago. The Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. And the people came to Moses and cried out, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Uh, and this is the story where he, made, he takes a bronze snake and he raises it up and anyone who looks at the snake, the poison goes away and they're healed. Anyone who doesn't dies. Uh, what happened just before this story is all the people started complaining against Moses again. And I actually was like, I was looking up, I forgot the specific chapter where this happened. So I was like Googling uh, like uh, Israelites numbers rebellion. And it brought up like six results. <laughs> like there's like six times in numbers where like the people rebel against Moses and God. People rebel against Moses and God. And then the people rebelled against God. And then the people grumbled against God. And then the people rebelled against Moses. And then his, his like brother-in-law's cousin, whatever, his family member also grumbled against the Lord. And so there's just these like grumbly people that, that Moses and God have to deal with. What's God's will? Follow Moses. I put him in charge. And then when they're grumbling, he sent uh, poisonous snakes among the people and they've bitten and died. And so Moses prayed for the people. He raises this bronze dragon. What's God? Dragon? Whoa, that would be... <laughs> That would be cool. <laughs> the, <laughs> I wish we could call him king of dragons. That would be so cool. My relationship with God would be better if that was the case. Snake, bronze snake. Uh, so he raises this bronze snake and, and what's his will? Look at the snake and be healed. Beginning of Deuteronomy. It's actually really interesting. I was reading the De Deuteronomy and one of the first things that Moses says, and this isn't like he didn't know that this was written in, in Genesis, but Moses was kind of complaining a little bit and he's like, man, I had so much work to do because of all you guys. 
so much so that I had to raise up other people who, like elders, who would um, help me handle the Israelites. And he, the, the thing he says is, you guys have just become as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool because God told Abram, how, how big are your descendants gonna be? They're gonna be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they were. So here's in, in Deuteronomy. When the Lord heard your complaining, he became very angry, so he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, who's one of the spies. He will see this land because he has followed the Lord completely. I will give to him and his descendants some of the very land he explored during his scouting mission. So what's God's will here? His will is that the people who came out of Egypt are not going to enter the land, but their kids will, the next generation will. Now, wait a minute. When he was talking to Abram, well, I guess he didn't tell Abram, hey, you're gonna go to the promised land, but he said, your people are gonna go into the promised land. That was his will. And then when he gets to Moses, he's like, Moses, you're gonna, my will is that you would lead these people out of Egypt and you would lead them into the promised land. And now he's saying, those people are not going into the promised land. My will is that they will not go into the promised land. It's their kids that are going into the promised land. So something's changed. What's changed? Their obedience has changed. Their disobedience has changed. The situation has changed. So does that mean that God had this plan A and they kept messing up so now there's a plan B? I don't think so. This whole book uh, that we're doing now is De Deuteronomy, and this is the end of the Pentateuch, um, and the, we've called this challenge because that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. Um, we've been doing these Bible Project videos to um, do a lot of the work that I've actually just spent the last 10 minutes doing, um, but this is going to give some context. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, the form of Deuteronomy, um, and this one is similar to it, but it's going to look more like the themes of Deuteronomy, and this is... Uh, gonna save me about 10 more minutes. So uh, by not having to explain it, it actually probably save me 20 because it'll, it'll be a five minute video. So let's watch uh, the Bible project and this, this will do a lot of work. The book of Deuteronomy, the epic conclusion to the Torah and spoiler alert, Moses is gonna die. Now, in order to understand this book, we need to remember the story so far. So Israel has escaped from slavery in Egypt. Then they spend one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. Then they wander around the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in. This is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is really is a speech. Moses gives these final words, it's like a pep talk, to the new generation of Israel that's about to go into the land. And the speech, it's broken up into three large sections. So Moses begins the first part of the speech with a somber tone because he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and resistance, which has been going on for the last 40 years. And that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and obedience. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, like the basics of the covenant, and then he gives them this very famous line. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
Now, in Jewish tradition, this is called the Shema because the first Hebrew word in this line is Shema Yisrael. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day. And it emphasizes the Israelites' exclusive commitment to their God, the one true God who loved them and who rescued them from slavery. Right, because they're about to go into a land where people are worshiping many other gods. And Moses thinks that loyalty to the Lord, their God, is the only way to life. Now, notice these key words in the Shema, listen and love. You're going to find these words all over this opening section of the speech. The word listen in Hebrew means more than just let sound waves come into your ears. It includes the idea of responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the laws of the covenant. And then listen is always followed by love. Yeah, so love is the true motivation for obeying the laws. Israel won't obey without love, and they don't truly love if they don't obey. So there's this tight connection between loving and listening that runs through the entire book. And so Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling as the family of Abraham to show all of the nations the wisdom and justice of God and so become a blessing to them. The second big section in Deuteronomy is a large block of laws and commands. And this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. In fact, in the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here explaining or clarifying the laws. So he's repeating and expanding on the laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel's to worship God, laws about their leadership structure, laws about social justice, and then some more laws about their worship. Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the consequences of their obedience or disobedience, or in his words, the blessing or the curse. If they listen and love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. And if they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they'll be forced off their land into exile. And that brings us to the final section of his speech. Yeah, here Moses says, I set before you today life or death, blessing or curse. So choose life. But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. And he focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about obedience. But this problem isn't unique to Israel. Yeah, in fact, Moses, when he's using this language about blessing and curse, he's tying Israel's story all the way back to all humanity's story from Genesis 1 through 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God just like Israel and given a choice to trust and obey God like Israel. And then they rebelled and brought a curse on the land like Moses knows Israel is going to do. And so these stories, they're about Israel's hard heart, but they're actually a window into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code, the one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of a mountain so we can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end the story. I mean, it's right 
they're at the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible, but this is the end of the Torah, and it's been ended here for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now as each generation reads the Torah, they find themselves called to hope in what Moses hoped for, a new transformed heart that one day can truly listen and love. Isn't that cool? It's I kind of like, you could just watch that and then be like, there's church, go home. But don't, because I have more to say. <laughs> um, so what's God's will for the Israelites? He says it in what's called the Shema. Uh, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your, of your house and on your gates. In other words, do whatever it will take not to forget this. It's so important that you get it right. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. What's God's will in this situation? That. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. What I find interesting is the word strength there. Sometimes in some translations, it gets translated to might. And it's a Hebrew word, me'od, um, which the word literally translates to abundant muchness, which is nothing. Like, you know, but... Essentially what this is saying is love the Lord with all of your abundant muchness. In other words, everything you have, all that you are, throw yourself onto this. Be obsessed with this idea. Love the Lord your God. That's the idea. So uh, some of you are, are like, wait a minute, I've heard that before and I've never read the Old Testament. First of all, you should read the Old Testament because it's awesome. But second of all, you're correct. Jesus quotes this. Uh, he's teaching, someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And they're trying to tra tra trap him and trick him because uh, this is a debate that rabbis have all the time. And Jesus says that my clicker stopped working that's not what Jesus said. Here he says this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus takes this Shema, love with all of your muchness, with everything, love God with all of that. And, and then he goes, but also love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. You could almost say it like this. Love God, know him so much with everything you are so that you could be a blessing to others and you could be a reflection of what God is like. That's how you would sum up the entirety of the law, the entirety of the prophets. That's how Jesus uh, chooses to summarize. And uh, they try to trap him, but the guy who asked him this like trick question was like, good answer. I like that. That's nice. Uh, so in, in Deuteronomy, he's giving him the, here's my will for you. You're gonna go into the land. My will is that you would love me with all of your heart, all your mind, and with abundant muchness. 
That's my will for you. But then in Deuteronomy, it's the first time in the Pentateuch where you can see like God kind of winks at the camera every now and then. I've been rewatching The Office, and so there's this like, you know, the moment where like they're like having a conversation, and someone's like, you know, and you're like, they're aware of the camera, and you're like, oh, you're operating a little bit differently than the rest of the world. <laughs> like you are, have this understanding of things that the person you're talking to does not. And that's, that's how God is, because this whole time God has been working with his people, and he's like, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into this land. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to rescue my people. Here's what I want you to do. And he's like walking with them every step of the way. In Deuteronomy is when, as the video says, he starts going, I want you to love me with all your heart. You're not going to. So here's what I'm gonna do instead. And, but you're not gonna do that. So here's what's then gonna happen is you're gonna go in exile. Eventually, you'll probably get it right, and then you'll go, come back onto the land. <laughs> so you can see like, oh, you have an understanding of time in a way that we don't. As an example of this in Deuteronomy 15, he says, there should be no poor among you for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he's giving you as a special possession. You'll receive this blessing if you're careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God I'm giving you today. What's God's will? There'll be no poor among you because you're gonna take care of the poor. Five verses down, there will always be some in the land who are poor. That's why I'm telling you to share freely with the poor and other Israelites in need. So within five verses, God is like, my will is that there'll be no poor among you. You're always going to have poor among you. Why? Because you're not gonna listen. You're not gonna do it. I know. I'm, I've been following you guys enough that I know you're not gonna do it. You're not gonna be obedient. My will is not gonna get done. So I'm gonna tell you again, what's my will is to take care of the poor. So I want to walk through this a little bit because we now have this angst of I'm outside of God's will, maybe, am I? Who knows? And then we have scripture where God is, is giving his will and it's, it's sometimes getting done, often it's not. So I just want to like connect the two. So this is me. Is that me? There we go. Uh, that's what I look like if I were a stick figure with baggy pants and a short sleeve shirt and no beard. I just found it on the internet. I don't know. This is, uh, that's me. Uh, and this is my journey. So this is young Kevin. He's trying to get it right in the Lord and he has a choice. He could choose to go to Life Pacific University or stay in Colorado. And by the way, God's will for my life was that I would go to LPU. But let's pretend for a moment that I chose to stay in Colorado Instead, disobeyed God's will. What happens? I probably would have gone to music school of some kind, maybe in music education. I don't know. We're just having fun with it, so this, we can make up whatever we want. I'm probably not going to have met Johanna, so probably married someone else, and she probably is marrying someone else. I really want to ask you who you think you'd marry if it wasn't me. <laughs> There's that. Never mind. <laughs> That'd be so messed up. I'm not gonna do that to you. <laughs> We'd probably be married to different people. And I, I actually wrote here, my life would probably be a lot simpler, but it'd also be, I probably did some, something boring with my life. Probably like settled into a career and just kind of coasted. That's a joke. I probably was not doing boring things. But if I'm here in Colorado doing some other career, I miss God's will, what do I do? Who knows? because that didn't happen. Instead, I went to life. But let's pretend that I, I actually obeyed God and I started attending Mosaic. 
Maybe I uh, loved it so much that I did an internship there. Or maybe I started being on the worship team. Maybe I got so connected in Mosaic that I actually would still be there today and Tremble would have a line by this person, this person, this person, and Kevin Perales. Maybe I, <laughs> and I am touring with Mosaic. This is my fiction. I can create it however I want. And in that world, <laughs> I'm part of Mosaic fan. Maybe that was God's will for my life and I missed it. Who knows? What if instead I obediently took the summer off? Maybe that church still would have hired me, but maybe not. It's possible that they would have said, no thanks, we're looking for someone else to destroy, so we're gonna hire an another young person and you go figure it out. Maybe we would have stayed in Los Angeles. Maybe we would have got another job offer. Who knows? I don't know what we would have done. Maybe we would have just given up on ministry altogether and pursued careers in Starbucks. I don't know. Um, but because I was disobedient and didn't go to Mosaic, and because I was disobedient and I, I took that job, I was fired from that job. I was broken. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Johanna and I were broken, didn't know what we were going to do with our lives. So we went and lived close to her family in Vancouver, Washington. And in that, we got healing. We started uh, getting plugged into another church, and that pastor cared for us and, and brought healing into our lives. And one, the pastor, one of the pastors is Christy Myrie, who some of you know is Deb and Dave Cosby's daughter, who introduced us to him, which led us up here, which led me here to Lake Sam. So uh, maybe if I was obedient and took the summer off, I wouldn't be here at Lake Sam. I don't know. It's still possible that Someone would have been looking for a job. Foursquare is kind of a small family, so I might have found my way up here, but we don't know. It's possible. Instead, we did what I did, and I'm here now. So in each of these situations, I did something boring in Colorado. I am here now today, 2019, obediently took summer off. I started attending Mosaic. In each of those situations, some of those are me being obedient, and some of them are because of an act of disobedience. So what do I do? In Colorado, if I did something boring and I'm like, God, what's your will for my life? I have a feeling he would say, I want you to love me with all of your abundant muchness because I want you to be a blessing to others and I want you to be a reflection of what I'm like and that's my will for your life. Even though you missed it, even though you didn't go to the school that I asked you to go to, what if I did go to Mosaic and, and I started be, being part of Mosaic Band and I'm touring the world doing music? First of all, that sounds awesome. But second of all, I'm asking the Lord, God, what's your will for my life? And it would be a version of, I want you to love me with your abundant muchness. And I want you to be a blessing to the people around you. And I want you to reflect me to others. Maybe I was obedient and I took the summer off and we're sitting in Los Angeles, Johanna and I decided we're gonna pursue a career at Starbucks and we're going through the ranks. And so we're not doing vocational ministry, we're getting plugged into a local church, um, but we're pursuing another career and years go by, we're in Starbucks and I go, God, what's your will for my life? Did I, maybe I missed it, maybe I was supposed to be part of vocational ministry, maybe not. And maybe God would say, yeah, it's time to go to Lake Sam. <laughs> or maybe he would say, I want you to love me with your abundant muchness so that way you'd be a blessing to others and you'd be a reflection of me to the people around you so they would know what I'm like. Here I am. I did what I did and I'm here now. What's God asking from me? 
you probably know, he wants me to love him with my abundant muchness. And he wants me to be a blessing to the people around me. And he wants me to reflect him so that people around me would know what he's like and know who he is. See, we think of God's will as this path. And if you miss the path, then you miss God's will. But I'm here to tell you that, and my life is is proving this out, that that's not how it works. God isn't concerned with paths. He's concerned with decisions. He's concerned with relationships. He's concerned with now. So maybe you took the wrong job. Maybe you should have taken this job and you took that job, but you're in this job now, and God has a plan for you in this job. And it's to be a blessing. It's to reflect him. And he may ask you to be bold and break the rules of your work and share your faith with people. And it may cost you your job. Or he may tell you not to do that and and to love people uh, within the rules of the structure that you're a part of. I don't know. That's between you and him. But either way, his will for you in that job that you shouldn't have done is that you would love with much Abundant muchness. Maybe you shouldn't have married that person. Maybe that was a mistake. But guess what? I don't believe that there's a one person that you're supposed to marry. I believe that the person you married is the one for you. So you're married to that person now. What is God's will for your life? He wants your marriage to reflect, to be a blessing to others and to reflect him to the people around you. He wants your marriage to, be, uh, uh, to love him with abundant muchness. So you see that no matter where you are, no matter what decisions you've made, whatever, however you got here is not as relevant as what you're gonna do now. And right now God is asking you, will you love me with abundant muchness? And will you be a blessing to others and a reflection of me so others might know who I am? Jesus puts it like this. I love this response. This is, Uh, Near the end of Jesus' ministry, he, again, my clicker stopped working. I think the battery's going out on this. Oh, no, I turned it off. I'm the tech guy. (laughs) Um, Maybe, there we go. Jesus went with the disciples to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over to pray. He took, oh, crap, I should have looked up how to pronounce these. Peter and Zebedee's two sons. Zebedee, all right. I went to Bible college. Uh, James and John, I definitely got those names right. And he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I want you to notice that, that it's not just like, I'm kind of bummed out today. Jesus is, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus is stressed about something. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground. And he knows what's gonna happen. He's about to suffer He's about to be betrayed, he's about to be suffered, he's about to be beaten, he's about to die on a cross. And so he uh, bows his face to the ground and he says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. There's this acknowledgement of, what's God's will for your life, Jesus? It's to die on a cross. Do you want to do that? No, I do not, thank you. I would like to, to not have, I would like to just chill for a little bit maybe. I have a long tail of my ministry that I think I could still pursue if, if we avoid all the beating and the, the betrayal and all that other stuff, the suffering. So God, please let that not happen. But I want your will to be done, not mine. 
And so I just, I just think that's the attitude that we have, to, we have to approach him with, that if we are truly loving him with our abundant muchness, what that looks like, how that practically plays out is, God, I wanna get a job at Starbucks so that way I can care for my family. Don't you care about my family? No, not my will, your will be done. I wanna pursue this other thing, but either way, not my will, your will be done, God. What's the will of God in your life? It's that it would be not mine, but his be done. I'm over time, but there's something else that I have to talk about because uh, I just have to. Um, and so when Johanna and I were, were married for a few years, um, we were doing okay. Like I said, our first year of marriage was, was our senior year of college, and so it was a little shaky. Um, the next few years were all right. We've been through some stuff together. But uh, after a few years, we kept getting into fights, and the fights would escalate like they do for young, unhealthy couples. Um, and it was, the fight started about a thing, whatever the, the problem was at hand. And, and, but we, and we both do this. We would, it would be like, oh, uh, you hurt me in some way. I don't know. You, you didn't do what you said you do or you're late to something or whatever it is. You, you've hurt me. And also you hurt me yesterday too. And also last month you did this exact same thing. And you know what? Back when we were in Central California, you did this to me as well. And you know what? Back when we were dating in Bible college, you did this to me. And you know what? When we were just still friends, you said you weren't attracted to me in any way. That was a joke if you've heard her sermon. That's what I said to her. Um, but so the fight just became about everything except the thing. And so when we got into counseling, and this is why I'm such an advo- a strong advocate for counseling and therapy, is because when we went into counseling, we started realizing, oh, we have all these issues that we've never actually dealt with. And we, we've never actually gotten forgiveness to each other for them. And so we worked on when we were dating and we, and we talked through the problems we had and the, uh, the things that separated us and we dealt with it. And we dealt with the first few years of our, the first year of our marriage. And we dealt with the thing that happened last month and we dealt with the thing that happened today. So now, from that point on, once we learned how to deal with those issues, now when we still fight we still hurt each other. We still um, have to have hard conversations. But when we fight, it's, we're only fighting about the thing we're fighting about. Because we've forgiven each other of the, all the stuff in the past. So I don't have to come into a conversation worried that my past is going to come back to haunt me with Johanna. When I woke up this morning, I went, because I'm doing this sermon that's on my mind, but I subconsciously thought, I don't have to wonder where I stand with her because we're in a good place. And if, if there is a problem, we would deal with it. But I don't have to deal with all of the problems because we've already dealt with all the problems. So every day is a fresh start. And we're probably gonna get into a fight today. I don't know why, probably something I said, probably before I just said just now. <laughs> but when we do, we're gonna deal with that. And then it will be dealt with. And then I won't have to worry about it hanging over my head anymore. It'll never get brought up in another argument. It'll never be a thing that I have to answer for because I already have. And the same thing is true with God. If he wanted to, he could hold everything over your head all the time. And you could say, God, I messed up. And he's like, yeah, you did. You also messed up earlier today and yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before and the month before and the year before. And what are you even doing? You're worthless. God could do that. In fact, God's outside of time, so he knows what you're going to do. If he wanted to, he could punish you for things you haven't even done yet. He's like, 
I'm, I'm not blessing you because of something you're going to do. God could do that, but he doesn't. Uh, in a letter, John writes in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, a, a psalmist writes it in this way in Psalm 103, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So when we come to God and we say, God, I should have listened to you. I should have gone to Mosaic back in college. I should have obeyed you and rested for three months. God, I should have obeyed you and not put games on my computer. God, I should have obeyed you last week. I should have obeyed you today. I should have obeyed you this morning. All those things I should have done and I didn't. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? He says, yes. I'm separating that from you as far as the east is from the west. And so the next time, because if you're like me, you'll bring it up again. And you're like, dang it, I messed up again. Also, I can't believe, I just can't believe that I didn't obey you over the summer of my last year of school. And God's like, what are you talking about? Why are you, why are you bringing that up again? And you're like, because I'm terrible and I did it. And he's like, I don't even remember that. I've already forgiven you for that. You don't have to, you don't have to live in that anymore. So maybe you did choose the wrong career. Maybe you did marry the wrong person. Maybe you have the wrong group of friends. Maybe you moved to the wrong city. Maybe you disobeyed God. And in a moment, we're gonna ask, if you haven't already asked him for forgiveness, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And from that point on, you don't have to worry about it anymore, ever again. And if it comes up again, it's not God, it's you or the enemy, but it's not God. What does God care about instead? How should you spend your time instead of thinking about the past once you've been forgiven of that? Listen, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your abundant muchness. So that way you could be a blessing to the people around you, and you'd be a reflection of what this God is like to the people around you. So Lord, we come into your presence And we thank you that your will for our lives is not broken because of our disobedience. Lord, we thank you that we're, however we got here, we're here now and we're in your presence. And you're not done with us. You haven't thrown us away. We haven't gone so far that you can't still use us. And so this morning for everyone here, whether you're on the worship team setting up, whether you're in the back, whether you're uh, out in the hallway, whether you're hearing my voice on the, on the podcast or online, or if you're sitting in the room right now. If uh, there's a moment that came to your head when I was telling my story and you're like, oh yeah, I've disobeyed God. Oh yeah, I missed it. Oh yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that and I did. God, we lift those things up and we say we have sinned. The definition of sin, as Kurt said a couple weeks ago, is uh, when you ask us to do something and we don't do it or you ask us not to do it and we do. So for me, taking that church job was sin. And so whatever uh, that is in, in everyone's life, Lord, would you forgive us of that? And now, would you help us to throw it away? You've already cast it out as soon as we asked you that as far as the east is from the west. We no longer have to be burdened about it. We no longer have to think about it. And now where we are in our jobs, in our city, in our relationships, God, would you help us to love you 
with all of our hearts, all of our minds, and with our abundant muchness. God, would you speak to us now about what you have for us in, in, in these decisions we've made? God, what is your will for today? Lord, as we uh, move forward to uh, immediately after church for lunch, what is your will? I want to be by myself and, and relax, or I want to be with my friends, or I want to be with my family, or I want to uh, go home, or I want to go to a restaurant, or I want to do some, whatever it is, Lord, but not what I want. What do you want? I want to do your will, not mine. God, tomorrow, as we do the day, there's so many things I want to do. But more than all that, I want your will, not mine. Reach down in front of you and, and grab the two cups. First, we lift the first cup that has the bread in it. And God, we acknowledge that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we judge the Israelites for their repeated failure in, in the Pentateuch, the truth is, we are no better. And so, uh, as we hold this cup, we recognize that we have not followed your will for our lives 100%. In fact, every day, we failed you. And so, to represent that, we stick our finger in that and crush it. And I'm so grateful that Jesus who didn't want to suffer, surrendered himself to your will and said, I want your will, not mine. Because as a result of that, we have freedom. And that's what this cup represents, that this is his body that was beaten and broken for our sin. And so take that cup. Then we lift up the second cup, the juice that represents his blood. And God, I thank you that this blood washes us clean it creates separation of our sin as far as the east is from the west. And it allows us to, to keep going. Because of this blood, you actually do transform our hearts. You actually do uh, enable us to get it right. You create the opportunity in us to obey. You create in us the opportunity to love you with abundant muchness. You create the opportunity for us to be a blessing to the people around us. You create an opportunity because of this blood for us to actually reflect you correctly. So the world can see what Yahweh is like because they see us. And so we thank you for this blood. Go ahead and take the cup. Thank you ushers for coming forward.